All right. Hello, Combat Kin listeners. Hey, everybody. So, as as you heard last time, my name is Austin Shane. Uh, I'm one of the hosts. My name is Mark. I'm also the host. So, this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about injury rates between combat sports, as well as some different recovery strategies that we can talk about to help mitigate some of these injuries. So, Mark, you want to get us kicked off? Yeah, so we're going to talk about a couple different reasons for why people get injured, uh, a couple things you can do to prevent it, and then how your training versus your competition style will actually affect it. So today's review, a systematic review, or look over what's called a systematic review by Jensen and all, or Jensen and Associates. And basically what that is, a systematic review takes a bunch of different studies, combines them all into one, breaks the data down and says, hey, what's the take home message from all of these study combines? The study we're looking at today is injuries sustained by MMA athletes. Don't let all this science jargon throw you away. We're not going to go into too many numbers that are non-prudent, that aren't important. We're just going to kind of break it down to the, the bare minimum of what we think is the most important to take away, whether you're an athlete, a coach, or even just a spectator curious about the sport. Yeah. So, Mark, what do you think our boy Jensen told us about the number one thing going on with injury prevalence with MMA? Well, it's going to depend highly on what kind of sport you're into. So in general, you're going to have a couple different classifications of injuries. You're going to have competition injuries versus training slash practice injuries. But within those categories, you're also going to have injuries that are more predominant in striking sports versus submission sports. And Austin, obviously, you're probably familiar with some of the submission-based sports injuries. A wee bit. What's your injury background? So my injury background, um, I have had multiple knee injuries on both sides, uh, meniscus, MCL, LCL, luckily nothing major to the ACLs or PCL, uh, as well as torn rotator cuff and seven concussions. So basically when Austin's telling you a story, we see a common theme here. One, concussions, you're going to see that in just about every combat sport, just about every contact sport you can think of. We're not going to dive into concussions today. It's a huge topic. If you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend Complete Concussion Management Incorporated or Institute. They are out of Toronto, Ontario, and they are just absolutely ahead of the game when it comes to concussion management. Smart dudes. I wish they were around when I was, you know, back in, we'll call it my prime, but I was lucky enough that, knock on wood, haven't gotten too many concussions that I know about. But... The common trend we see with Austin, as we see with most submission and grappling sports, is a lot of joint injuries. So shoulder, elbow, knee, ankle, those are going to be the, the big ones, especially for jiu-jitsu. You're going to have a lot of knee and a lot of elbow, shoulder. When we flip over to striking predominant sports, this is where we see the impact injuries. So we're going to see a lot of lacerations to the face, a lot of cuts, broken nose, broken, we call it a broken orbit if they get a, a, a black eye that actually includes a fracture, someone hitting the face really, really hard. Those are going to be more of the striking, predominant, resulting injuries. Yes. And one thing I want to add on the grappling sports, because I don't have much of a background in the striking. Um, with the grappling, a lot of these injuries that we're talking about, it's either a joint key, if we're talking about our jiu-jitsu sports, um, or just in general, degeneration of the joint uh, in our like wrestling-based sports. A lot of those are coming from actual overuse injuries. So there was another study that was done uh, back in 2012 that measured between novice and advanced Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, 
and 66% of injuries to novice jujitsu practitioners were actually a uh, overuse injury. And we're calling novice anything purple belt or below. So what I think, and there's a big term in jujitsu called the blue belt curse. I think this is kind of what's playing into that blue belt curse. And this, again, like Mark was saying on some other topics, I could talk about the blue belt curse for literally ever. But a thing that I would like to mention right now, and we can go into it further on in some more further podcasts, is that these overuse injuries are stuff that we can actually take care of if we try and get on the conservative end of it and hit it before it happens. So if we get you either some information on how to prevent some of these overuse injuries or different movement efficiency, efficiency strategies, we can try and mitigate some of, the, or some of the situations that you're feeling and some of the pain that you're inevitably probably going to have if you go from couch to rolling five days a week like most jujitsu practitioners do. Anything to add? Yeah, well, you know what an overuse injury is, right? It's a preventable injury. Overuse has very little to do with uh, what we'd call an, an acute or a traumatic injury. I'm not falling into an overuse injury. You know, I'm not slipping off my porch and, and falling on my wrist and wrist and breaking a wrist. It's I have not recovered because I don't know how to do that. I either don't have that tool set or I don't know my body well enough. I'm not getting checked out. And, oh, yeah, you know, just a little sore today. Don't get me wrong. Soreness is totally natural. It's a good thing. It's part of the human condition. But, yeah, this is a little, you know, a little twinge in my hip. And then next week, it's a little worse. And then the week after that, it's a little worse. But, you know, I'm just going to keep rolling because I, I really like it. Don't get us wrong. As clinicians, Austin and my job is not to stop you from doing what you love. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But what we want to do is we want to give you the tools that keep you rolling and don't end you up the blue belt curse where you never come back to rolling either. Exactly. So a lot of the time you just kind of have to know your body. So Mark, one question I would like to ask you and see your opinion, how long is too long to be sore? Like how many days in a row should you be sore? I think part of that depends on the, the type of soreness as well. You know, I've had some pretty good squat days where I feel, I feel it for five days. Let's call that's, that's on the long end, long end for sure. If it's a sharp pain, it's not, a soreness anymore like if you feel some sharp pain i don't care if that lasts a day that that's a red flag that goes up for me that requires some more diving in now if it's my quads are sore and it you know getting up from the toilet it's pretty hard because i had a hell of a squat day it, worse. yeah it, it happens <laughs> way more often than i like to admit not that i'm lifting heavy weight or anything just because you know I, I don't recover as well as i used to i suppose 27 over that oh, man but if you are sore more than five days going on seven days, you have pushed a boundary that is well beyond what I would qualify as regular training adaptation. Yeah. So the moral of this story is if you're pushing past five days of soreness or if you're feeling any sort of sharp pain, you should go get that checked out. Whether it's with one of us, uh, if you're in the Gresham area, head on into Health Center of UWS Gresham. Uh, or you can contact us and we can get you in contact with anybody that we know in the area that we think could help your condition and really help the combat athletes in the area because you are such a specialized population. Not everybody knows how to deal with the mindset of a combat athlete, and we want to treat you as special as possible. Now, we've kind of blended two things here as we went along. We, we kind of blended the overuse and the acute injury. 
don't get us wrong, uh, overuse injuries can present as that jointy, pinchy pain for sure. But way more often than not, if you have a joint, pinchy, sharp pain, that's very often because a manipulation went wrong. They hyperextended you that you weren't prepared for in an arm bar. You know, you are a, a blue belt rolling with a white belt and you let them get you there because it, it happens to all of us. That That is worth getting checked out, but it shouldn't be a, a game ender. We're also talking about the overuse injuries. That is where it's more of a load management. And Austin, you always like to talk about movement prep and whether you're you are actually prepared to roll yeah. beyond just the training volume. Cause we know training volume is important. We'll talk about a full podcast on training volume and managing that. Can you touch on movement quality and movement prep? Yeah, of course. So something I'm passionate about is trying to increase movement efficiency. Uh, one thing that I think is extremely important with the combat athlete is trying to have as efficient of movement as possible and how we try to get to that. So how I see this type of scenario and why it's so important with trying to prevent overuse injuries is I want to try and pre-fire some of those muscles so they're that we need to fire so they're more likely to fire in a proper pattern moving into the rolls so how I like to structure different movement prep and how I think that actually one of the things that I think jujitsu schools can do better if they're not consulting a movement professional or a actual healthcare professional about their warm-ups um, is trying to structure a lower body a core an upper body a neurologic prep as well as proprioception or knowing where your body's at, because that is something that's extremely underutilized, but everybody in a combat sport needs it. You need to know where your body's at because you're trying to move your body against another body. Um, so some of these different things that we can do are trying to prep our lower, lower body in a pattern that's similar to jujitsu. So doing like a modified bear crawl um, to try and train like we're passing a top game that's a lot better of a warm-up than just rolling around with a shrimp because we're focusing on actual muscle activation versus trying to do just one part of jujitsu. Same thing with upper body. I don't need you to, what, what's the go-to jujitsu rule? It's uh, you're like pulling one way to the other. You're almost doing like a spider crawl. That, that's not really effective for jujitsu. Like that makes no sense to me. <laughs> what we could be doing and what's really necessary is thoracic spine rotation. So mid back moving around. So trying to get some thoracic spine rotation and prepping that. So you're more prone to be able to do that movement moving into your practice instead of just having a stiff mid back leading to shoulder stiffness, leading to a rotator cuff strain. We don't need rotator cuff strains. Most of them are preventable. So why don't we try and prep and actually get you in a more better firing pattern moving forward? I think a great example of this is you don't want the first time you're going into full shoulder external rotation in your practice be when someone has you in a side mount Americano. That's probably not the first time of the day you want to be in external rotation. One, who knows how warmed up you actually are in that position. Two, that's going to affect the actual extensibility and stretching of those, those tissues, but also just like Austin said, your proprioceptive awareness, even if that's the difference of, for myself, who I consider more of a recreational, not a, a competitive athlete, tapping soon enough so I don't go into that pain cave. So I can come out on top and I can roll, live to roll another day, as yeah. you said. Live to roll another day. So as far as competition versus training injuries, competition is going to be just as it sounds. So you can call that a, like a weekend competition or if we're talking actual higher level competitive athletes. Um, by far, 
and large training injuries outweigh competition injuries. They're way more common as far as just pure numbers of, of injuries. But if you're curious and you're looking at the data, keep in mind that this is going to be skewed because while you might decide that you're going to go into a competition, how many of your fellow athletes do you know that are not competing at all? And they are then going to be qualified only in the, the training category. And those injuries are going to skew that number a little bit towards training injuries happen more often, especially as the sport grows, you end up with a lot more recreational jujitsu players and even kickboxing, et cetera, versus actual competitive players. Yeah, Mark. Uh, one one thing that I think that we should talk about with this kind of though is that we need to talk about as more people join, I would even say those overuse injury rates are only going to increase because jujitsu in general and combat sports in general are only getting more popular day to day. So how how can these people try to get ahead of what they're doing right now? How can these people try to get ahead of the injuries that they could potentially see? And who should they talk to about this type of stuff? So there's a couple of different philosophies that I have on it. And Austin, feel free to obviously chip in of course. anytime. As far as the data goes, the only thing shown to definitively decrease injury risk is a well-rounded strength conditioning program. Yep. It's, it's the only one that anyone who looks at the data objectively will agree that that decreases injury risk. It just hit me right in the heart. I'm so happy you said that. Now, that doesn't mean that other things won't influence your individual injury risk. So, so keep that in mind. Your range of motion limitations, your motor control limitations, you are what we call an N equals one. You are not a piece of data in a study. You are a human being in front of me. Like we said with the Americano example, if you lack range of motion in your shoulder and you're forced into new range of motion, is the injury risk going to be higher? Maybe it's debatable. To me, it makes a lot of sense that I would probably want to have full control of my range of motion. So that's, that's number one. Yeah, can I, can I make a point on that? Absolutely. Yeah, so one thing, adding in more studies, I love having research to back what we like to say. The UFC just did some research recently and actually published it at their Performance Institute, which looks like an awesome campus, and I cannot wait. I'm going to go check it out next week and see what it's all about. Um, one thing they did publish in this study, though, is that if you have two limbs that are a greater than 10% asymmetry, so that means the range of motion is 10% uh, increased from one side to the other, you have a 70 to 90% chance of injuring that limb. 70 to 90% chance because of that asymmetry between range of motion from one side to the other. Which is huge. There's very little wiggle room when you're talking about a 90% injury risk. I'm curious, Austin, was there some joints that were rated higher than others for injury risk or they just rated overall 70 to 90 percent for any joint asymmetry because like we talked about earlier of the striking versus grappling the, this is just me 100 percent assuming i would assume that the grappling sports and that elbow that shoulder that knee are going to be higher risk versus other joints is that something they looked at yeah they did uh, and they actually did the research and they split it up between the five most likely places to have a motion decrease and what was actually injured the most because of these asymmetries are going to be your hips, your shoulders, and then your cervical spine, your neck. Um, and this is, so this isn't just with grappling. This is with MMA in general. So it's everything coming together. But the one thing that 
kind of blew my mind was the cervical spine range of motion because it is such a central structure. So what I would like to kind of talk about that is there's, there's really easy ways to increase the range of motion of your neck. Like just doing some simple controlled articular rotation, shout out to FRC, and doing just joint circles and trying to make increasing or increase your range all the way through there. This can be an easy way to try and increase the range of motion through the cervical spine and help mitigate this before it even starts. Um, and then some of the other ones, hips and shoulders. Uh, if you look at Mark's webpage, if you look at, there's a strength coach, Phil DeRue, has fantastic content for MMA fighters and grappling athletes, as well as anything that's put out at Warrior Sports Wellness. There's a lot of ways to increase your hips and your shoulders range of motion. You just don't typically look at it in your training because everybody loves rolling. Not everybody loves doing mobility drills, but the mobility drills are what lets you roll for longer and get rid of that blue belt curse. So what do you suggest if someone is listening today and they are dealing with that? Every time I go to roll, every time I am in the mount position, I feel a pinch in the front of my hip. I can't get rid of it. It's been plaguing me for six months. What is the first thing that you suggest they do? First thing I suggest they do. Uh, there's actually two things that I would suggest. The first one would be get more mobility in the joint. And I don't think there's anything better for this right now than that CAR, controlled articular rotation, for the hip joint. So it's just doing a maximum range hip circle and trying to get your muscle or your joint moving as much as possible in all of the ranges of motion. The other thing that we can do is try and load the pattern that we just increased the mobility in. And the there's a bunch of different ways to do it. You can do a shin box, which Mark has a tutorial on his website, I believe. Um, you can go in some DNS exercises, which is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Um, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about, and I have a lot of tutorial videos to show you there. And Or just any different way to load the hips. You can do a deep squat. Doing a deep squat before practice is going to be a great way to increase your hip mobility and the hip flexion. And it's there, there's no equipment included. You don't need anything. doesn't sound like rocket science. sounds yeah. straightforward. Uh, if, if I can think of it, anybody can think of it. That's, that's the way I see it. So number one, strength training, non-negotiable. Non you got to start strength training. Number two, you need to recover. You need to make recovery a priority. And this doesn't matter if you are a high-level competitive athlete or if you are Cindy Joe and you're trying to do two and you're in your first six months. Recovery is the difference. Do they need to buy a cryo chamber? Yes. Okay. You need to drop 20. You do not need to buy a cryo chamber. I think all of those things have their place, but to be honest, most of them are very gimmicky. The number one, again, non-negotiable aspect of recovery is, are you sleeping? Are you getting eight hours? If you're not, don't worry about any of your other recovery. Don't even bother coming to see me. Get your eight hours first, see how you feel, then decide, is it worth investigating this further? Do you want to improve your movement quality or do you just need to get stronger? Those are the two main points I would say. If you are worried about injury or you're dealing with an injury, get stronger, get some sleep. What about diet? Diet's important. Diet, to be honest, is outside of my realm. Uh, I think I eat fairly healthy, healthily. I can probably eat a couple more vegetables, but... Yeah, nutrition is also pretty important. We'll, we'll touch on that in the future. If you're not sure about nutrition and you're struggling with it, step one, eat a vegetable. Make sure there's a vegetable in every single meal every single day. Yeah. Step two, have a multivitamin. That's a great step, too. That's a really good point. Yeah. 
Um, so what are some other stuff that we want to talk about, Mark? What, what do we want to talk about with the competition versus training injuries? Is there anything else you want to touch on on that? I think the, the main point there is that since competition injuries are so outnumbered by training injuries, I think already it's skewed. Over the last couple of years, and Austin and I have talked about this a couple of times, the number of missed fights due to injury has skyrocketed. I can't remember. We, we found some sort of stat, but it's like three times as much as it was five years ago or, or something like that. Yeah, the UFC, I believe it was 54 fights over the course of a year that were scheduled that were not able to be completed due to overuse injuries or preventable injuries. 54 yeah. fights. So that's, that's, that's quite a bit. That's going to skew, that's already going to skew that number if we're just looking at the UFC numbers. Because if you are injured and can't fight, turns out you can't get injured in your fight. But it's not a great thing for the fighter, obviously. I don't think it's a great thing for the, the fans or the industry either. Just because it's taking away screen time, it's taking away money. A lot of those people put a lot of time into their training camp, whether it's their coach, nutrition coach, strength and conditioning, and the actual fighter themselves. But the, the, the training injuries, since they're so preventable, are, I mean, you can hear Austin and I are very passionate about that. The competition injuries are never usually something like we would call patellofemoral pain, which is a big fancy word for knee pain. It's this guy got knocked the F out and this girl got her knee blown the F out. Those are traumatic injuries. Those are a lot harder to prevent. So are we not swearing on this podcast? I, I, it was for emphasis sake, not, yeah, okay. knock the okay. fuck out. There I, you go. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, we're, we're good. If you're offended by it, you can hit us up. You can hit Austin up at uh, Warrior Sports Wellness, I think, and you can swear at him about swearing. Yeah, swear at me about swearing, I'll swear at you back. Yeah, sounds good. Um, again, the, it, it's literally a four to one ratio between training and competition injuries, which is just, it's just flat out unacceptable. Part of that is intelligence of training. And don't get us wrong, there's tons of intelligent coaches out there. I think some of them are doing it very well. I think the team and on it are doing really, really good things with their academy. Uh, I think Greg Jackson has had some very intelligent camps as well. American top team. Okay. Does a phenomenal job with their strength conditioning. Yeah. But then there's also still that old mentality of you're not sore enough. You didn't work hard enough. If you're not sparring all out, you didn't work hard enough. There's no reason to come into a fight broken unless there's unless you get hit by a car on the way to the fight. It's just it it's just it's unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's just so many good resources on being able to measure heart rate variability, for example. For sure. A good way to measure whether you should work out hard that day or you should take an active rest day. Uh, there's just so many different metrics you can measure and like the UFC does a great job with their own mega wave and being able to track their metrics of what's actually going on in the physiology of the body to make sure that you aren't going to get sick or you're not at higher risk to get injured the day you're training. So yeah. there's, I would, I would say there is zero excuse for the overuse injuries to be so prevalent currently. So the UFC in their analysis, they looked at a, a category they called daily readiness, which uh, it's going to include your stress level and also your, something we call heart rate variability so when our heart beats it doesn't always beat at the same rate per per minute on every single beat so instead of going beat 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 all the way through 60 seconds it's going to vary so when i inhale my heart rate's going to go a little bit faster because i have more oxygen 
when it exhales, it's gonna to tend to slow down because that's when we're transferring the, all of the oxygen to our actual tissue. So inhale, it's gonna go beat, 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 beat. Exhale, it's gonna go beat, 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 beat. The higher that variability number, the better physiological state I am for recovery. Now, if you haven't already, and if you're like a super nerd on some of this, one, I recommend checking out that UFC document. It's, it's spectacular. Two, you can get a really easy app for your iPhone. How accurate it is, who's to say? But it will at least put you in the, the right direction. If your heart rate or heart rate variability rather is super low, you might have had just, it was too stressful of a week, this week, your job, you've been training too hard, you haven't been recovering enough, maybe it's time to hold off a little bit. Now, where this gets a little bit trickier, and I've had conversations with clients about this in the past, and they say, you know, I feel great today. And they're not always in tune with their body because their heart rate variability is extremely low. And I'm going to go with the objective data over the subjective data, unless you are Michael Phelps and you are an absolute <laughs> pro and you understand your body that well. You know, if we have these absolute studs, they're going to have a better tune with their body than Austin, you or I are because we're studly, you know, I'm Stud no GSP. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You can get, check us out on Instagram. Slide faces, the DMs, faces I guess. made for radio, we'll put it that way. Faces made for wrestling? Oh, no faces made for wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and kind of just what Mark was saying, unless, unless you're John Jones, unless you're Khabib, trust, trust the objective measure, which means there's actual scientific data or a number compared to how you feel that day. So that's the difference between objective versus subjective data moving forward. Um, the last thing I'd like to say before we kind of sum up the podcast and sign off a little bit, uh, is, the UFC in that same document, they had a they had a statement that they made that was talking about preventable injuries. So circling it all back. I like to come full circle if you haven't figured that out. So coming full circle, preventable injuries in the UFC cost even these high-level athletes, these elite athletes that are paid to perform, 50 days on average per injury. 50 days of injury that they can't train, their team can't get paid, they're, make, they're not making gain. They're actually hurting themselves and hurting their current standing in the UFC because of preventable injuries that we, you, our entire team could help moving forward. So it's, it's just something that doesn't make sense in my mind. Like, I don't understand how this is still a thing for the highest level of athlete in this sport. Are we going to eliminate overuse injuries? No. No. So keep that in mind. We're not saying they're going to go away. But four to one ratio is way too high. Obscene. The only way you should get injured is because the man standing across from me in the ring punches me in the face and he beats me. That's when I should get injured. Yeah, or you're rolling with like a scrappy white belt that doesn't know how to fucking move their body and they just spaz out. Yeah, well, that, hey, strength training, be stronger with them or stronger than them, and then you're going to be fine. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, <laughs> the main points, I'll try and sum it up for us strength training. If you're a combat athlete, you need to do it. It's not optional. Even if you're recreational, if you want to decrease your injury rate, strength train at least a couple of days a week to supplement some of that, that training time. Another one, preventable injuries are currently four to one compared to combat injuries. This is ridiculous. Coming back to point one, strength train helps it as well as recovering. Going into the third point, recovery is key. Try and get an HRV 
uh, heart rate variability tracker. You can get one for $10 on the App Store right now. It's called HRV4 Training. It'll actually measure your heart rate through the camera on your phone. Like Mark said, we're not 100% sure how accurate it is, but it seems to be pretty accurate currently and gives you good objective data for whether you're able to train right now or you should have an active recovery day. Is that the one our boy Ben Ramos uses or is it a separate one? That is that one. Okay. Yeah, I've, you, I've been using it too. It's awesome. If you're in the San Diego area and you are injured, just go to Flow Force Rehab, full stop. You'll be fine. Yeah, I he will do way better than anybody else, I think, ever. Austin, you forgot the most important point when it comes to injuries. What is that, Mark? The people who win the fight almost never get injured. That's true. That's true. I don't actually have the number, but there was a number. I, I think it was around 75%. Oh, it's, a, it's a lot, yeah. yeah in, around 75% in another actual study that we're talking about that said 75% of the people that got injured during a fight were the loser. So just don't fucking lose. That's that's the last point. If you go out to compete, just don't fucking lose. Yeah, there you go. Recover hard. Uh, if you want to find me, I'm at Mark Murdoch, M-U-R-D-O-C-H on Instagram, mark at leofitness.ca, or you can check me out at leofitness.ca. Check out my website. Austin, where can they find you? They can find me at warriorsportswellness.com. They can find me at the Warrior Sports Wellness Instagram, as well as email me at austin at warriorsportswellness.com. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and tune in next time. We'll be talking about some important issues in the world of combat sports. See you later. Peace.